You're listening to episode 181 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest ATP Pro Nathan Pasha. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey Pete, I hear that you have a cool new opportunity for new talent to get featured on your YouTube channel, which has like 44,000 plus subscribers, which is ridiculous, uh, as well as on TennisCon. That's right. Well, Maribon, it's great to be with you. As you know, we both run our own summits. you got the Tennis Summit, which is amazing. I have Tennis Con. Uh, we feature the best coaches on the planet. But this year, we had some new talent. The Tennis Mentor was amazing. Marissa from Rip at Tennis is great. And I want to give more coaches who have an interest in learning how to start coaching online, because I think it's so important in today's environment, be able to get on my YouTube channel and to be able to get in the Tennis Con 5. They're going to have to earn it. And if they do a good job, I'll send them your way. Nice, nice. I would really appreciate that. New talent is always great for Tennis Summit. But um, a big question, obviously, I'm sure everybody's uh, really wants to get started with this. So how do they get started to take advantage of this opportunity? Yeah, well, they can actually go to a website, coachtennisonline.com, where I'm going to be showing them the ropes on how to learn how to run an online tennis business. Because I just think it's super important in today's environment that coaches are a little more protected than this going out there and, you know, being victims of bad weather. And, you know, this year showed us all how, how vulnerable we can be. And I think it's super important to get online. So that's the big reason why I'm also doing this. So they can go to coachtennisonline.com to sign up and we'll take it from there. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. This is Mirban. We're back again with an interview. And this one is with ATP pro Nathan Pasha. And very excited to have him on the show. I always really, really enjoy speaking with the professional tennis players who are putting in the hard yards on the tour, uh, especially with this past year being such a crazy one. It was very interesting to talk to a pro who is particularly articulate and can really explain things well when it comes to technique and preparing for matches and things like that. Nathan is a very well spoken person. And I actually caught wind of him when I was on my friend Peter Freeman's uh, YouTube channel because uh, he worked with uh, Nathan on putting together a couple videos. So I definitely highly encourage you to check out Crunch Time Coaching, the YouTube channel there. But yeah, we had a very nice conversation encompassing Nathan's career and what he's doing on the Pro Tour and very interestingly how he analyzes his matches and I was very surprised at how much film study is involved, if you will, how Nathan analyzes his matches and then creates a practice plan based on that, which is something that I think we all need to do a lot more of. Most of us don't even take videos of our matches, but as you'll see, uh, Nathan even reveals to us a very simple way to take videos of our matches. So I think you'll really get a lot of great things out of this 
particular interview, as I mentioned, you know, a lot of technical advice, strategic advice, mental advice, uh, just how to prepare, the mindset. So it's all great stuff, and I'm definitely excited to give this one a re-listen myself very soon to take some notes on what I need to do to take my game to the next level. And to give you a little bit of background on Nathan, he was ranked as high as 119th in the world in doubles and 507 in singles on the ATP Tour. He is now focusing exclusively on doubles and breaking the top 100 and beyond. He also played college tennis at the University of Georgia and was ranked as high as 19 in the nation, while UGA was ranked as high as number two. Uh, He was also a practice partner uh, in 2017 for the Davis Cup, the USA Davis Cup team. And he has a really cool website at NathanPasha.net. And you can also find him at NatePasha on Instagram. So with that, let's go to the interview. And I'm excited to present it to you. It's a uh, fairly long one, but a very good one. And so I hope you really enjoy it. So without further ado, here is my interview with ATP Pro, Nathan Pasha. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Falls podcast. It's really a pleasure and an honor to have ATP Pro Nathan Pasha on the podcast. Uh, I really enjoy especially speaking to, you know, the best players in the world and and people who are, you know, on the tour and and making a living doing it and, you know, putting out their best tennis possible. So, uh, Nathan, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with me. Thanks for having me. This is a fun thing for me. Thanks a lot. Yeah. And I have heard you speak on other podcasts. And as we were chatting beforehand, you are doing some videos with uh, my good friend, uh, Peter Freeman from Crunch Time Coaching. So I uh, definitely also should look out for that. Um, but yeah, Nathan, uh, it's, it's obviously been, an, been a tough time uh, these days for uh, for tennis players. But I, you know, I was reading up on you and uh, you know, you've got actually got a, a website at NathanPasha.net. So that's really cool as well uh, if people want to yeah. check that out. Um, but I, I read, you know, a very interesting story uh, on your site as well as uh, on some articles about how you first got into tennis or really how you yourself chose to get in. So I was wondering if you could just recount that uh, for the <laughs> listeners. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I was a competitive kid in general. So any sport I was competitive and, and wanted to do my best. I love tennis and tennis is something I wanted to play. You know, it was also basketball and baseball at the time, really baseball and tennis. But uh, my mom ended up choosing tennis for me and uh, we didn't live in the greatest area. And, you know, she, she kind of felt like I was acting kind of like the kids in the area uh, when I was doing baseball. So she kept me in tennis and that that's one thing led to another. And here I am long story short, but that that's how I stayed in tennis. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the story. That's awesome. And, you know, obviously big props to your mom for, you know, teaching you a lot of values and, and raising you. So, I mean, how hard was it to be a, a young person, you know, with, with, a I guess a single parent is what you, the household you're raised in, right? Yeah. Well, looking back on it, you realize how tough it is. And that is a credit to my mom, but going through it at the time, my mom made it a lot of fun uh, for me. I mean, it, I was pulled out of school when I was nine years old. So I was homeschooled and I basically played tennis all day and did some school. Now it wasn't fun to catch up on the school part later, uh, but going through the whole process, it was a lot of fun playing a ton of tennis and working hard and just kind of doing what I was best at. 
Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, it, it was for sure. Like I owe my mom everything. Uh, you know, she sacrificed everything for me to play cause we definitely come from a low income family. Um, and the only way I kind of got through juniors was through the help of other people kind of helping me. Um, and, uh, and it's funny because I, I was actually thinking about it a lot lately. Um, you know, like I, I feel like I'm kind of exactly like my mom, you know, like she gets up, does her work and I don't really see her until the end of the day. And, you know, fast forward now when during COVID time where we don't have to do anything, like that's kind of what I'm doing, you know? So that's some kind of realizations I'm coming to myself. Yeah. I mean, definitely, uh, you know, you've learned a lot of things and, and you start to become like your, your parents, you know, a lot of the time. And I, I think I, I heard on a, a podcast, uh, many months ago that, I guess you might have been like in been in the same room as your mom and basically you would see her like wake up super early every day and go to work. Oh, and, yeah. and so that's kind of where you got like your your hard work and commitment uh, values from. Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, you know, like there, there's times I remember her getting up just early in the morning, going off to her job. And then, you know, it was up to me to go to the tennis center for the day and we'd see each other at the end of the day. But. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and it's also a credit to the people that kind of raised me at the tennis centers as well. And also at USTA eventually mm -hmm. when I went there. So cool. Cool. Sure. And, and so, yeah, speaking about, um, you know, you training at the USTA, you obviously, uh, you played very well as a junior and then you were noticed by Rodney Harmon, who was at the time, I think, uh, head of USTA men's development. So, uh, just curious about like, how exactly it is that, you know, he f discovered you, like, did he talk to you at a tournament or was it just like by email or some other form? I know when I won a super national when I was 14, uh, like mm -hmm. it was winter nets that kind of put me on the map in terms of USTA's radar. And I knew they were going to watch me play at Kalamazoo, which is like the biggest junior tournament. Mm -hmm. and, and he was at one of my backdrop matches. I had already lost. And, uh, and, and yeah, like he, he won, he, he decided to kind of have me on board and, I was lucky because I was kind of like a borderline pick. I mean, like I was good and I had a good ranking and, and good results. But the kids that kind of got invited there were really a little bit more, had a bit more better results than me. You know, they, they were kind of, I don't want to say they were taking a chance because I don't think it was necessarily a leap. But, but they, were, they were also projecting upside as well, as well as good results. But, uh, but, but I was definitely lucky that Rodney took a chance. And uh, it was a huge help in terms of just – the next step I needed to make in terms of growing up. There weren't a lot of kids to kind of hit with once I was turning kind of like 15 mm. and stuff like that. Plus we were running out of money as well. So it's kind of funny how everything, uh, looking back on it, how everything kind of happened at the right time in order really just to get to the next spot, you know? Yeah. It's amazing. It seems like a lot of different things, you know, happened at the right time. You know, the person asking if you wanted to sign up, you know, for a tennis class and then, you know, Rodney's yeah. seeing you and yeah. very, very cool stuff. Um, uh, just curious. I mean, you did mention that what changed is obviously like better players, like uh, to pick from when to to train with. But like, what other things like kind of changed with with the training or anything else, like from before uh, training at, at the UCA uh, to after, like well during. Sorry. So, but, but wait, uh, training from when to when? So, like before you went to uh, USTA to train to then when you went there. That, that's funny. That's a loaded question. Um, huh. So it was definitely more serious when I got to USTA and it was more structured. Mm -hmm. I worked, I worked just as hard when I was at home, but it was, it was in kind of more of, I was used to the coaches, you know, and I, 
I did things their way, but it was kind of like my way and their way. When mm-hmm. I was at USTA, it was like very like this, 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 and we're doing this again the next week, you know? And uh, so we got work pretty hard at USTA and USTA was a place where uh, I realized how hard I can work for a long period of time and still feel fine. And that wasn't everyone's experience. Some people got hurt. Some people got burnt out. And mm-hmm. but, but I was fine. And I kind of I kind of enjoyed that working rhythm of two practices a day and one fitness a day. And then that, that that's kind of it. And, and I kept that working rhythm up until now, really. Uh, so it's I would say I was just, I would really just say the whole difference is that everything was more structured at USTA. And I definitely got exposed to more opportunity. That was where uh, I also got to hit with a lot of pros and train with pros. James Blake at the time, huge, nice. uh, you know, Isner. And uh, they set up hits with Nadal, Soderling. I mean, mm. it, it, tons of people, you know. So it's maybe I kind of developed talent when I was at home. But in terms of uh, understanding maybe more of the professional side of the game because I was around it more. Mm-hmm. That kind of happened at USTA. And I kind of compared everything to that, even college training, to be yeah. honest. So very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Great opportunities and, you know, motivation when you get to practice with all those amazing players. Uh, and, and yeah, so you, you mentioned um, like the, the style of regimented training uh, was right for you. But so so you don't think that necessarily is the way to go for everybody or or should it pretty much be like that for for anybody trying to be serious about it? Do you think? Well, it's funny because it's a combination. You definitely have to work in a systematic way to make it or, mm. or to just be really good, not not just talented. You got to be systematic about your approach. It has to be consistent, mm. but it has to be unique to you in your own way. And that's what I realized. I mean, USTA is one way and and, and it worked for me because it turned out I can kind of could take that. And I kind of you know, like that. That's not everyone's thing. So uh, tennis is so individual. Uh, so yes, you have to be systematic. Yes, you have to develop a working rhythm. But like, what is that for you? And that's a that's a huge process to figure out because it's like you get cultural values. Like, try as hard as you can until you break yourself. And then you know when you don't want to get back up, you kind of guilt yourself a lot. And no, mm-hmm. like don't guilt yourself. Just kind of get to know yourself and what's your rhythm. And I don't think that's preached enough. It definitely wasn't at USTA. That could have helped for some kids, not for me, but for some kids. And, um, and yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, when I speak with you know a ton of coaches on the show, like they all say, like it's so important to put in the work to get to know each student and you know their values and even their background, so then you can figure out the optimal training. You can't just give a cookie cutter training regimen for everybody. So, uh, I really appreciate that, uh, you know. I mean, well, from a coaching perspective, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, I mean, I, I only. I can really only give my experience from this year just because it's been my first time working with the kid for over three months, four months or whatever. But, mm-hmm. but her relationship definitely develops whether to or not the impacts, whether the kid will listen to you or not. And it, it all takes a life of its own. There's a right way and a wrong way, but it's, there's also, it's an art and a science. I, that's probably the fun part about tennis and development. Yeah, I agree with that. So, uh, so Nathan, like, uh, I was wondering, you obviously uh, repped your home state, which is really cool by going to University of Georgia, great career there. Um, but did you have any, um, any other schools that you were really seriously considering going to? And, and if, if so, how did that process all work out? 
at the time, no, it was just like I, Georgia was a big school. I was familiar with them. You know, mm-hmm. I, I remember seeing them at matches when I was younger and uh, I was like, hey, you know, I get to watch the Falcons on Sunday anywhere <laughs> I want. Don't have to go to a sports bar like I get to be home. My, my family gets to see me. And that was a big deal because I barely saw my family the three years prior when I was in Florida. So that was really it. Uh you know, but, but I did have other offers. Like, like I, I was a top recruit in the country, sure. uh, but like the, the limiting factor was like, I, I needed full support from whoever out of state and that's school has to make a commitment for that. And, and there were a decent amount that were a decent amount that were willing, you know, I was talking to UNC a decent amount, um, you know, Florida state, some Florida, a decent amount LSU. I mean, most of the schools, you know, I, I didn't really, the winners at the time really were Virginia and USC. Mm. Virginia wasn't going to spend a full, like I would have had to get some kind of, you know, uh, USC, I don't think they had a full, mm. but pretty much everyone else, I kind of felt like I was, I was kind of on the table for. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was, I, I forgot what the actual, what was the actual question? Sorry. Oh, oh no, no, that's cool. Well, I, you you pretty much were answering it. It was just basically like how okay. how did the process go between like selecting what school you wanted to go to? That that that's how I selected it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was just hey, it, it's it's right there. Cool. You cool. know, what I mean, but it, but also like it's it's really good and it's right there. It, it wasn't just hey, let's just go to Georgia. It was, <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, while you were there, I think UGA went up to number two in the country. That's pretty good. <laughs> so uh, yeah, much better. I mean, it was. Yeah, it was definitely a team effort, uh, but I, I was definitely happy to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because I was trying to, or I had been uh, DMing uh, uh, Coach Diaz to try to get him on too. So hopefully we can make that happen. Oh, nice. Yeah, that would be that would be cool. Yeah. But I, I was wondering, um, you know, what part or parts of your game do you feel like you developed the most and improved the most while you were at UGA? To be honest, it, for me, I honestly think it was a bit less about a part of my game that was developed. I don't know if one part of my game just took off, to be honest. I mean, it, it was, it puts, I don't know, college forces you to grow up. I mean, you're, you're making your own decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're kind of held accountable for your own. You can make your own decisions before then I couldn't even make my own decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you're competing with, you know, for a team, you, you're competing with a bunch of fans that are there just about every match. So it, it for me, I think it was more about the experience and, and learning from that. I definitely did did gain tennis wise for sure. I mean, you know, Manny's a great coach. Mm-hmm. Will Glenn, when I was there, was a great coach. But like, I don't at USTA, I had great coaches. You know, I mean, for me, it wasn't. I mean, so like that was just kind of my context going in. You know, it was more about just the daily disciplines and practices when I was at Georgia. I felt, but uh, but yeah, it was just being exposed to to mm-hmm. just different different pressure situations and. You know, you're if I'm on the road at a future and it's a and it's a or a challenger and it's a hostile environment, like I don't really feel shaken because yeah. I'm used to serving a second serve at the university in Alabama and everyone screaming <laughs> on it as loud as they can and, and trying to be annoying. So um, that, Georgia tennis is definitely an important part of uh, of my game in general, you know, big time. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's tough out there. I remember um, playing at Cornell Invitational when we when we went up there. I played for UMBC, so it's kind of funny. Uh, I watched some of your videos, and they said "Go Dogs," and it brought me back to yeah. we're re- retrievers, so they would say the same thing. Um, but yeah, I got you. yeah, and so like I was playing some dude. I forgot what school, but then like his teammates were like, "Oh, my grandmother plays better than you," and like it was you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that that sounds like college trash talk. 
Yeah. It sounds like college trash talk for sure. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So it's, that, that, that'll come out. It's the, the, those are honestly when I run into uh, other players on tour, you know, I, there are a lot of former college players out there. And one of the most mm-hmm. fun conversations to have are just like college stories of when you're on court and some random person said something, you know, so those t- turn into some fun conversations. Yeah, hundred percent, man. And uh, yeah, so yeah. if I get my my years right, uh, you you actually played NCAs twice uh, at home, basically. Uh, so I mean, what yeah. was that experience like? That must have been insane. Like two out of your four years, you're playing yeah. at home. <laughs> yeah, that was really lucky. That was really lucky. Uh, the experiences are great. You know, it feels like there's nothing like it. Other two years were Illinois and Baylor. I mean, Illinois was mm-hmm. special because that's the furthest we made it. But it, it you know. Illinois Baylor, man, you know, in terms of like the site and the, you know, and sure. stuff like that. But it was NCAA, so there were people that showed up. It was nice, but d- definitely Athens is great. You know, you, you stay at a kind of a nice hotel, and there's it's just your home fans. You know, they're, they're it's kind of nothing like it. You know, unless you're at at an ATP level and you're playing in front of kind of those in front of that all the time. So I'm definitely appreciative and. uh both years were, were were crowded and and pretty special. I wish we would have done better, and I definitely think we underachieved those two years. But um, doesn't take the experience away. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm I'm just curious. I mean, obviously not to bring you back to you know tough memories too much, no. but like what what um like in those those times where you feel like there there was some underperformance. Like what what did you kind of attribute it to uh, in the end? Um, I don't know. Like I. A little bit of bad luck, you think? or just... uh, the, the, Well, the, the, the years were different. I mean, in terms of those two years, the mm-hmm. difference between those two years, uh, honestly, the, the, the first year we worked really hard, and uh, I think we were overly tense. Mm. You know, like we we should have won the doubles point that we lost. I think we lost at one, won at two, and, and, and we we had the match kind of won at – either we had it one at three or we were like heavily favored at three and something, something happened, but – it was kind of uncharacteristic. I, I felt it was weird. I really think the pressure got to us. Mm-hmm. The, the freshman year team was my favorite team, and and in my mind, it was the hardest working. Mm. You know, all of them worked hard, but like that was it was. I just felt like everyone was on the same page. Mm. You know, my first year, so I just felt like we just kind of got too nervous. And in my third year, we worked hard, but I just felt we were emotionally just not disciplined, and mm. I think that that cost us in the end. So mm-hmm. those are kind of the stories of those two and uh, w- winning and losing is, is very close. Yeah. So if you're a little bit emotionally undisciplined, it's not to say that we were off the rails sure, uh, because, because we weren't, but like, you've got to be, there's a certain level you got to be to, to win. We didn't do badly underperforming for us is quarterfinals in the round of 16 of NCAAs, you know? So that's just what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate the insight. You know, mm-hmm. this podcast is all about trying to help players improve. So I just, you know, trying to see what uh, might have yeah. happened there. So it brought out a great point about emotional intelligence. So appreciate that. Uh, so kind of shifting to the uh, to the pro tour, well, actually kind of the middle right now, I was going to ask you, what in your mind and from what you've experienced is a difference between uh, college tennis play and then the tour? Uh, college tennis? <laughs> college tennis play is like it's it's a talented good flashy probably too much energy and Mm. just chaos but like that's the fun part of college tennis honestly and like that's the appeal like 
before I went to play college tennis, you see basketball, football, and you love that environment and you love to compete in it. I would keep it the same. Um, I wish I knew how to control my nerves in that environment rather than just like go wild at times <laughs> because, because I mean, tennis is such kind of like a personal sport. Everyone plays their best at a different emotional baseline. And mine is a little bit calmer and just in the moment rather than talking trash and screaming in someone's face. So that's college tennis and, 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 and the more pro tennis is just, it's just more quiet and relaxed, but uh, college tennis is just more energy and fun. And it's how it should be. Um, If I were to teach it, I, I would, I would probably teach my team how to, how to control their emotions kind of through that whole chaotic environment. I mean, you got, a crowd there, you got your girlfriend in the stands or, 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 or your friends or your whoever watching. And, you know, there's a lot of pride on the line. So. Got you. And, and so to that point, is there any special or particular mental training or things that you do to, to help with that, that element of tennis uh, at the moment or, you know, in the past years that you've been yeah. on tour? Yeah. I mean, well, to simplify it, I, I can tell you my routine now, and that's kind of sure. come throughout the years of me understanding, uh, of me, of me just trying to understand what, what is a mental routine? Why, how do you use it? Yada, yada. But basically it's ultimately to stay in the present and it's very simple, but it's also very hard to do. Um, it's, it's kind of, you can use your, uh, in, in my mind, or at least what I've read, or at least how I use it, I kind of use my five senses to stay in the present. And, and I think that's scientifically proven, but touch, smell, you know, t- I'm not going to taste anything while I'm on the court and stay <laughs> the in the air, present. Maybe. But, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> but sight, I mean, like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But often, like, for example, my routine when I'm on changeovers, I just focus on the raw, de- the raw data, like of my breath, just feeling the sensations of my breath just in and out, and I'm there. Um, you know, when I walk back to the baseline, you know, I'm kind of saying lightly to myself, contact, contact, Mm. contact. And that's my feet hitting the ground and me just paying attention to that sensation, you know, or I'm just paying attention to my breath or I'm feeling my strings and paying attention to that. Really any of those things just keeps me in the present moment and it doesn't have me thinking, man, I'm playing well right now. What if I just double fault the rest of the match? Hey, I'm doing this. What if I do this? What if I... And look, I mean, we, we all naturally, we all care. Those are high stress situations. You're gut, you, you, your thoughts are going to go wild unless you can kind of, kind of just control your, your conscious and your mind. So I just do different kind of things to just stay in the present. And I focus on my breathing to keep me relaxed. And, uh, those are really the main things. I mean, at, at the end of the day, yeah, it's about understanding why you play tennis. It's about understanding that, you don't identify with your wins and losses. You're more than that. It's all, it's about having those conversations too and realizing that, Hey, if your UTR is under a certain amount, it doesn't mean that you're a loser for life. You know, like, like it's, it's, ba- it's basically about understanding that. And it's tough because kids, because kids react that way, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's about having those conversations over time. And then it's about developing a routine that just keeps you in the present and actually practicing it during practice. Like when you're practicing, mm-hmm. it's not about, focusing on where your elbow is it's just about focusing on saying contact when you walk back to the baseline and on your breath before you know in between points so uh so there are different ways to practice it as well it's it's not just about understanding and if there's a, a huge thing that i've learned this year when coaching kids it's not about telling them how to do something because the idea can be simple and great and everything but if 
if I, if I line a hundred people up and tell them all to raise their hand, they're probably going to all raise their hand slightly differently. And it's the same with the tennis stroke. So, um, it's about figuring out practical ways to get you there and to practice things. So. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's super powerful. I actually did a, a solo episode, uh, last week on, uh, how to focus, you know, on the court. And there was this one, uh, interview that I did actually his presentation, uh, with Jeff Greenwald who's basically a mindset expert and he was encouraging people to, to follow a simple routine in between points, similar to what you mentioned. Uh, I think his routine was, was take, take a deep breath and then feel your feet on the ground and then adjust your strength. Right. It's, it's kind of the yep. same thing. You know, you're just refocusing. So same you're not, language. Yeah. You're not thinking about, you know, the previous point. Oh, I did this. I did that. You just reground yourself and, and go for it. And yeah. sorry, but and in no, my no. mind, coaching there, coaching there is like your student, whoever responds to what was his name again? You said Jeff. I'm sorry. No, that's cool. Jeff Greenwald. Yeah. So, I mean, so some kids are going to respond better to how Jeff phrased it. Some kids are going to respond better to kind of like how I phrased it. And right. by kids, I also mean people and people at whatever level. Sure. And it's just like, hey, there, there's really kind of only one or two ways to hit the ball or really one way to hit the ball and a million different ways to phrase it, you know, uh, and the same thing with routines. But, uh, yeah, touching your strings, feeling your breath, just being in the moment, because at the end of the day, we can all hit the ball that's in front of us. But when we think about all the pressure or the last time we served it out or whoever is thinking about an opinion, mm-hmm. whether we lose or whether we win or lose, it's it's really trying hard to keep those thoughts out of your mind. And uh, it's hard because it's felt, but but you got to keep it out of your mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's huge for sure. For sure. So on the topic of routines, I'm very interested in that. And I found just in daily life, how powerful they are, you know, habit stacking, uh, and and things of that nature to, to get you uh, going for the day. So I was curious about your, your routine, uh, before matches, if maybe you could kind of take us through how that normally goes for you. Yeah. So, uh, I'll, so playing, playing primarily doubles on tour, we play in the Mm -hmm. evening time. Um, I'll practice in the morning. I practice every morning because doubles, you can do that. Like it's, it's, you got to be fast and explosive, but it's not a marathon out there. So, yeah. uh, we practice our timing stuff and whatever in the morning I go back nap. Um, and then right before the match, I honestly take five minutes and, uh, th- this, <laughs> this may be really weird and scientific, but uh, I put my AirPods in just like now. And, uh, there's like alpha brainwave music that kind of keeps me calm. And I focus mm. on my breath for five minutes. I set a timer for five minutes and I just focus on my in and out. And by the time I'm ready to play the match, yeah, I feel those nerves, but they're kind of mitigated to the point to where they're con- controllable and everything just feels a bit slowed down. Like I could just focus on the ball and play and uh, let whatever happened happen. And although I kind of feel the emotions of those moments too, I can kind of keep them in check a bit better. So that's kind of what breathing does for me. You know, I just, I just keep my eye on my breath. It just keeps me from, uh, getting me emotionally overwhelmed. Yeah, that's super neat. I, I just I use an app called Calm and they also have Headspace and others um you know to meditate, but yours is a little bit different. So like how, how did you find the 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 alpha waves like you just google it or like where did you Oh, that, that's <laughs> funny. Uh well, I can't remember how. I do remember I was in Korea at the time. Huh. And uh <laughs> uh like I I know there's I know there's different brainwave music like like I was big on like study music and it's mm-hmm. similar to that. Like, like you listen to it, it, you know, it gets your brain waves in a certain state. Like I know the alpha state is big for just being in the zone. It's not where you're processing a bunch of thoughts. It's not where you're super relaxed. It's kind of right where you're just kind of focused on one thing and you're, I, I don't know. But, uh, 
but um I forgot how I stumbled upon it but you know but I did but but it can really be whatever keeps you in the present for, for mm-hmm. me that kind of helps me but you know whatever keeps you in the present everyone's unique to themselves I, I hear all kinds of different things but I, I'll I, I think they all follow the kind of laws of hey tap into your senses whenever you want to be in the present moment Gotcha. Gotcha, man. And then as far as a, a normal practice day or like a normal training day, rather, like how and I, I know you spoke about like multiple practices and fitness, uh, maybe back with USDA. But what is it like for you now? Uh, well, uh, during the COVID year, it's been mm. the last three months, at least it's been a uh, training in the morning, teaching in the afternoon. And then I would either have gym in the evening or gym right after my morning session. But but during uh like when I leave on Wednesday to go to Turkey, uh, it's going to be practice in the morning, some kind of competition in the afternoon and possibly serves and returns uh, in the evening, you know, since that's kind of what doubles mainly comes down to. So that, that's kind of it. And then maybe film study uh, two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. And um, that's about it. That's about it. Good stuff, Nathan. So, um, in regards to film study, it was very interesting because I, I was reading on uh, reading your blog uh, at nathanpasha.net, and I saw a, a a post there where you actually uh, you're reflecting on a match that you and your partner had uh, lost. It was a very close one, and you mentioned that you that you did film study and it brought out some very interesting things. So, uh, one of these things was about uh, flex volleys, and so that was very interesting. So I was reading about that, uh, what you wrote, and can you kind of explain like what that is uh, to the viewers yeah. and how to deal with them? Yeah, well, I, there's all different kinds of volleys, and uh, first of all, if someone's like, "What? There are different kinds of volleys? It's just not one volley." Yes, there are different kinds of volleys, and you need to know what they are so you can become a better volleyer. So. Flex volleys are basically uh, balls that are hit really hard at you and you just flex them back. Flex is probably the wrong word because I don't want anyone over tightening them, you know, kind of like uh, their, you know, their musculature to hit the ball. But those are called flex volleys. Probably, you know, you got the flex volleys, you got the volleys with no pace, you got stretch volleys, you got volleys that jam you. And they all require different timing, footwork, etc. Long story short, you just want to lunge through volleys. You do uh, like literally just like you're stepping out to lunge a ball. And the tricky part is the timing of like the lunge has to be long. It has to be forceful. It's almost as if you're jumping over a puddle mm. kind of, but imagine like you're jumping over a puddle in strong lunge form or you're fencing and you're going kind of going for the kill and you're lunging at someone. Mm. If you can lunge into the ball, time your body weight into the ball, that's how you volley. And the funny thing is I feel like a lot of people are backwards and they're explaining because we like to talk about the hand, keep the hand straight. And I feel like what some people don't understand is that, hey, like if you have no legs in your volley, all the all the force of the impact is going to go into your hand. And if you're not strong enough, your hand is dragging straight to the ground, whether you what regardless of whether you know what to do or not. So bottom line is about lunging through volleys first and then addressing upper body technique after that, which is a huge deal. That's that I, and where especially I don't know, I don't know which country club coaches, whatever. I mean, there are good country club coaches, but you know, there's also a lot of not good country club coaches. And, you know, I, I feel like that'll help a lot of people's volleys. If, uh, if, if that was probably understood more, um, because you can lunge through a volley and have bad technique and hit a good volley, but you can't have good upper body technique and have bad lower body mechanics and expect to hit a good volley. So, but sorry, I got off on a huge rant. Long story short, flex volleys. Someone rips the ball at you. 
you just uh you just flex it back but the whole goal is to be really calm with the upper body because uh you know anything traveling hard at us we want to flinch i don't know it's kind of a survival mechanism you flinch mm -hmm. but hopefully if you're in that line of fire enough you learn to stay calm and just hit the center of the strength and that's what it comes down to um while you try to lunge through the ball you don't have to since the ball has pace on it and you can use that but then you have to kind of wait for the ball to get to you and not be too far out in front so it's also about understanding contact points mm, mm, love that yeah i can see why you're uh you've transitioned very well to being a, a coach nathan uh very good explanation oh thanks yeah <laughs> Yeah, thanks, for sure. Thanks. For sure, for sure. And yeah, it was super interesting cuz you know, you you in that post you had mentioned that you you know, you thought that you and your partner had had not played so well, but it turns out that you actually did play very well and it was a matter of, you know, those flex volleys and then the second ball, um, you know, so after you return yeah. the second ball. Um, so that was really cool and um so I guess maybe take me through the 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 process of of analyzing film you said you do it uh, like two to three times a week um and then like how do you like how do you take notes and like any other insights would be very interesting okay well is this just like how do you watch film or like how, how do you go about like looking at film yeah how do you go about looking at and then like i guess your notes like i'm curious like what you know what what type of notes are you taking is it like you know long mm. form or like a chart or, or anything like that it, it's it's honestly really sloppy bullet point stuff junky mm -hmm. but it makes sense to me kind yeah. of a thing mm -hmm. that, that that's how my no notes kind of turn out it jumps from thought to thought when i have a thought i'm excited about i'll probably expand on it and then if, if i have another thought that's pretty hot that jumps into my mind i'll kind of drop that one and start on this one and then go back to that one mm -hmm. so so my thoughts are very kind of all over the place but i kind of try to get all the information down and then make sense of it from there um but but man like in terms of how to watch film that that man it's a loaded question because there's always different things to watch for because like sometimes it's all right like i want to feel more free on returns on my returns i feel myself trying to hit perfect spots all the time i'm trying to get it by guys when in reality some guys are pretty good returning like that but not a lot only some guys are that are like pinpoint returners they naturally kind of have that mm -hmm. other guys have to be picked pretty big targets and just keep the ball low and hit it big right so maybe i may watch film you know trying to understand okay if i hit a quality return line like do you get a second play on that ball and if so how often so you know if, if i'm getting a second play on a quality return line uh maybe 70 percent of the time then hey i feel comfortable returning line now you know so sometimes i watch film from that perspective Sometimes it's from the perspective of I'll just jump to a certain point and be like, what happened if it's in a match I'm disappointed in? And and honestly, sometimes, for example, when I went back to watch matches from this year in January in Australia, I had a completely different perspective. So I kind of feel like uh, I, I watch film in, in tons of different ways. How I interpret it probably depends on my mindset at the time and uh, just everything going into it based on when I see it. But uh, I don't know. I kind of feel like more information comes about the more I look at it, look at it or the different questions I kind of ask myself. Maybe, for example, uh, I don't know if we got broken a lot, maybe on break points, on deuce points, you know, where was I serving or, you know, mm. so it's you can get really detailed with it. It's it's more I think the way I watch film is more dependent on like what's my purpose for watching film. That's kind of. Sometimes it's just to watch the match as a fan and notice what I notice. You yeah. know, sometimes it's to just watch uh, a Pavic is a really good one. 
he'll just take one step forward. Once he realizes the return pass to the net guy, he gets balanced, and then he's pretty long as well. So sometimes I'll just focus on that. Uh, it all changes. Gotcha, man. Very cool. Um, and, and so actually, as far as the fi- uh, match film, uh, do you get that at every single tournament? Are they always, uh, you know, recording the matches? Or are there some instances where you just you don't have any film to watch? At challenger at challenger tournaments, they're usually recorded. Mm-hmm. So so we are lucky for that. At the future level, not so much. But I also do have a GoPro that I that I can hook onto the fence and we can watch practices or matches. So we'll watch it regardless. We'll 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 get to watch film study regardless. But it is important to watch film study and ju- just just kind of just get more quality information so you can make better decisions. Yeah. Have you ever had like a team that's like, nah, man, you can't, you can't film us. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's pretty funny. Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't, you know, I I'm, I'm surprised that that's happened, but, uh, but I haven't. Okay. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And so are you, um, are you watching like pretty much all your matches? So no matter if you won or lost, or is it kind of tilted a little more towards matches that, that you lost or that you think that something, uh, you know, you may not, might not have played so well. I'll watch both. Mm -hmm. Um, the matches we won, we watch it that night and kind of like relive it and celebrate it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the matches we lose, I'll probably give it a day and Mm -hmm. then I'll watch it at the airport probably while having a beer or something (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, and, and just try to understand kind of what happened. So, but, but I honestly think how I watch film now is going to be a little bit different from how I used to watch film. I mean, you know, the year being at home, kind of the, well, it's still, it's still a COVID year, but I guess the initial start of the COVID year, I mean, you reflect on a lot, you know, so, you know, I think it'll kind of help my process moving forward. Very nice. Very nice. So one small um, technical question, like when you're hooking up your GoPro to the fence, like, are you using some sort of mount where you can, like, put it over the fence? Like, what what, what are you using yeah. for that? Oh, it, so I, I order from this guy named Mike Lammons. He's out in Denver. What's his website? It's like Q1 Tennis Stick. Oh, yeah. Or something. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's what I've been, uh, that's, that's what I've been doing for a little while. It helps a lot. It helps a lot. And, it also cuts down on the amount of repetitions we have to do. Sometimes you could just, uh, instead of an afternoon practice, you could do film study and kind of get the repetitions in that way as long as you're locked in. Very nice. Yeah, I mean, video is just so, so big, and I don't think uh, enough players, especially amateurs, are using it enough. So kind of to yeah. com- complete the process, Nathan, like when you – you know, you, 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 you've got the film, you watch it, you take the bullet points and then you, you know, you mentioned on that post and probably others too, that you then create a, pla- a practice plan, which is, uh, extremely important. So, uh, cause I find that a lot of players, they, they just go out on the court and no plan, no nothing. And then they're not optimizing obviously if they do it that way. So, um, how do yeah. you, t- how do you turn your notes into reality, into an actual practice plan? Yeah. Um, for me, I was lucky just because I ba- I feel like I basically grew up at a tennis center. You know, uh, I, I mean, I pretty much spent all day at a tennis center since I was nine years old. Mm. Um, you know, and, I mean, from there it was USTA. From there it was college. From there it was the tour. So, like, I've seen a lot in terms of developing. Uh, I think I have a natural intuition in, in terms of maybe how to come up with a plan to improve something just because I've seen everyone work on just about everything. Uh, not to say that I know everything cause I don't, cause there's always new things I need to learn, but 
it, it does come from past experiences, but, to, I, but, but maybe to give a specific situation, you know, note, notes come with a lot of self-awareness. For example, maybe it's, uh, maybe we won the first set six, two, it's second set for all I'm serving. It's 30, it's 30 all, uh, I get a, I get a high volley that I miss. And, and I, you know, this is actually maybe a similar scenario when I was in Panama, I, I get a high volley that I missed. And at that point, it's not technical. I mean, it's more of an emotional, emotional error, you know, it's uh, where I'm like, man, this is an easy volley. It's right there. You know, I got to do it. And I just completely brick the volley, you know, so the, so the tip in that, in that moment is to just be in the present, focus on your breath rather than something technical. You know, I, I could go back out on the court that same day and execute a lot of high volleys. So, a lot of it starts with self-awareness, with just kind of understanding where you're at, and then and then just kind of having the 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 past knowledge on how to improve things. Like, how do you improve footwork? I mean, honestly, in my mind, it's probably hand feeds, where you get to uh, where you get to really control the environment and force someone to generate all of their pace because you're hand feeding them. So they have to have perfect footwork. They have to have their feet set in a spot where they can generate all their power. Otherwise, the shot's not going to feel very good. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, but that comes from, I mean, how, how are you going to, how are you going to know that if you haven't been in that environment, you know? So it, it's just come from past, past experiences and seeing people develop and then just kind of applying that to whatever's going wrong. And also asking a lot of questions. Like, I don't know the answer to a lot of questions, but I'm lucky enough to, um, ha- have some really good kind of role models that are not only good coaches, but just good men in general that have, uh, positively impacted my personality. So. I probably lean on those guys the most when I'm stumped, but if I know an answer and I'm pretty confident about it, I just try to execute it and see if it works. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. Appreciate that advice, Nathan. Oh, just as an aside, have you worked with uh, Dr. Mark Kovacs? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. You know, I, the, the funny thing is I actually meant to send him, uh, I, I am going to send him a text at some point thanking him, but, uh, but not like he, he was definitely a turning point in my life. I, you know, mm-hmm. I remember being at USTA and, uh, and I was always, I worked hard, but it was more about fitting in and joking around and being with the guys. And, uh, I remember one day Mark asked me what my goals were and I was like, to be top 10 in the world. And he, and he laughed and he was, <laughs> and he was like, if it, but, but it, it wasn't in a, it, it was kind of in a, you know, and he said, if you're going to, if you're going to need to, if you're, if you want to be top 10, you got to work a lot harder than what you're working now. Mm. And it was like, he, he didn't say it in kind of like a, a douchey way. Yeah. Uh, but, but it was in like a real genuine, like, look, you got to work kind of way. And, uh, and honestly, I don't want to sound superella like ever since then I've been working hard, but like that, that was a moment that, uh, that I clearly remember, you know, and that this was, uh, 12 years ago. Mm. Um, and, and, and I do remember just taking things more seriously, not trying to be as much of a clown and, uh, and, and just kind of go to work. And, and that's kind of one way that I kind of feel like he's impacted me for sure. That's really cool because, you know, when, when you first mentioned the, that, that you had had a relationship with him, my first thought was, oh, he probably told you some crazy like sports performance, like technique or oh. something. Cause he's like the man, you know, he's, I think he's with the Cavs now. Is that right? As a sports performance? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and that's why I was lucky. And that, that's USTA exposed me to a lot. You know, I mm-hmm. kind of knew Mark before I knew who Mark Kovacs was. You mm-hmm. know, I was just a 16 year old kid and he was kind of designing the programs that we were doing. And, you know, I know he's with the Cavs now and, uh, and, you know, I know he's a big deal, but at the time I was just kind of just a kid. And, uh, yeah. so, uh, 
uh, I was lucky to to get his advice and kind of understand how he is. You know, um, he he he's a great guy. You know, he 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 worked with me some in tennis, even. You know, after college on court and uh, with both fitness and with with actual tennis, so it was cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, good guy. I've talked to him a ton of times, like multiple interviews. Oh yeah, so, yeah, he's yeah, great, he's great, awesome. Great contributor to the game for sure. So I guess to back up a little bit, Nathan, um, I was wondering, like, you obviously made a decision a couple years back to uh, to pursue doubles full time. So I guess maybe two questions is one, you know, how did you arrive at that decision? And then also, I mean, is there ever, has there ever been a point since then where you like, you see some players playing singles and you're like, Oh man, I want to go and play again. Mm-hmm. There are players I see in singles where I know I could give them a run for their money or probably beat, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but, but it also doesn't mean anything at the same time if you're not going to actually make it in my mind. So it doesn't really matter. That's just more of an ego thing, which is like, man, you know, kind of the older I get, the less I care about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but 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 no, I mean, like I, I, I have a lot more fun playing singles and, and I think I could go maybe on a run a tournament here and there, uh, probably playing more of a double style, probably more of an attacking style, which mm. is probably what I should have played in the first place. Uh, when uh when, when I was playing singles, it's it's I actually probably feel like I'm playing better singles now than I was then to be honest. But uh, mm. but but you know I, I arrived at the decision. I, I think I, I was I'm 28 now, but you know I was I was turning 26 and the tour was kind of doing a thing. Like I was 500 at the time ATP singles and like 190 or 200 in doubles. And I remember they were coming up with two separate tours, and I would have to either choose between singles and doubles and it was already kind of being recommended to me by a few people to maybe go doubles because I always had good results. I mean, even back to juniors, like we had played us open because we had won a uh, Kalamazoo doubles, which is a huge deal at the time. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I always did well in super nationals, whatever, like I did well. So it just kind of seemed to make sense. And it just seemed, it, it, it just felt right. It was kind of hard letting, you know, singles go cause you're letting one dream go. But, uh, but 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 this the doubles is something I really love. I love the pra- I love the way the practices are. They're definitely a lot different from singles. Um, I, I love the fact that you're working together with another person, and, and it's just really different. Um, and it's also added a huge element uh, to my game in singles. Kind of how I see the game, how I decide to take time away, the type of volleys I hit, the, the way I use my volleys. Um, so. I don't know. I I, I, I I don't miss the grind of it because in order for me to even have a crack at singles and maybe even get 250 is to have a coach, have this, have that, have all this stuff on the road, which I wasn't even close to affording. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, but I felt like I could kind of do it in doubles with a partner by my own or not, not by my own, not on my own either, but kind of with a partner, without a coach, without all that stuff. So, yeah, cool. Makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I remember talking to Tred Huey, another great doubles player, and he kind of had the same, you know, conclusion. Like, you know, I just my skill set. I'm I'm doing much better, and and that's the way to go. And it's you know smart decision. So, in regards to like the financial situation, and I did hear you talk about this uh, in a previous podcast. I think maybe an Australian fellow, which was a good one. Um, but. Uh, how how tough is it to stay afloat? Uh, I mean, on the tour because obviously it's it's very cutthroat. It's very difficult, and I know they've made some initiatives to like give some more money, uh, you know, at other tournaments. But it still doesn't seem like you know enough. So how difficult is it? 
Yeah, I mean, you're losing money every week. I mean, to really give it a shot on tour, I, I don't know exact numbers, but you're losing a lot every week. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sorry, every year. Mm-hmm. You're losing money every week, but everyone's situation is different. Some people have their parents back them for a certain period of time. Some people find sponsors to give them a certain amount. Some people find sponsors to give them a certain amount then that they have to pay back later. Uh, it's 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 very individual, and the hard thing about tennis is that you kind of have to be your own CEO in the beginning and make all your decisions, and you don't really know if they're the right ones or the wrong ones. You're just kind of doing the best you can. So everyone's unique is completely different and and, and unique to kind of unique to their own situation. But but it is really hard. It, it does add pressure to your matches. Uh, you know, if if you are running low on money, um, it's kind of just as if you would imagine, really. You know, but. Uh, it's tough being in those situations, but you know, it's a part of it at the same time. You know, like I feel like just about everyone, probably ninety nine percent of the people in the top one hundred have, have felt have felt that. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. For- Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of nineties inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Sure. Um. Yeah, and you know it's funny because you like we've got you know I'm, I play USTA leagues and stuff, and like even in those matches, like people are like you know feeling all the pressure and stuff. But then you know it's multiplied, uh, you know, hundred x by you know it, that it's your livelihood and all that. So I know you've talked about routines and things that to to help you, um, but I mean, have you ever you know been in a match and it's close, and then you you know that maybe that thought pops up in your head like hey mm-hmm. dude if you win this you're going to win like a few more grand and then like how do you yeah. how do you deal with that um no because by that point i knew better okay uh but but that moment happened in a different form we were it was it was my sophomore year in college we were in illinois we were playing virginia we were down 3-1 had three matches on the court I was three on the third. The two other matches were up a break George's way. So I'm thinking, mm. man, if I, if I win this match, we're going to actually beat Virginia and go to our first final. And I'm playing against this guy named Alex Damajan, Really, Probably, mm. I think he's top 10 in the country at the time. I mean, he's good. And uh, and, and, and that was kind of like playing ahead of myself. Like, I was playing well. And it was four, four all, 30 all. I stopped and thought about it and uh, double faulted uh, twice. And uh, then he served it out. Matches over like five minutes later. So yeah. that that that's that's a pretty hard lesson to learn in terms of uh, just stopping to think or just kind of like letting your conscious run wild when you really just need to keep it fixated on one point and just kind of let your body knows. Just let your body do it. And all. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what you have to do. You have to keep yourself calm. However you get to that state is on you, you know, um, or at least that's how a lot of people work. Maybe some people have to get hyped. But that's definitely not me. Uh, so I don't know if I answered your question or not. But no, no, that was good. That was a bunch perfect. of words. Yeah. <laughs> bunch <laughs> okay, of powerful yeah. words. <laughs> there, there's yeah. a bunch of words. Just make make something of it. <laughs> <laughs> we will. We will. I hope the listeners do. Um, but no, it's, it's it's really good stuff, man. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah. so so regarding like the you know finding partners on the tour. I mean, is that so? I guess another two parter. Like I guess what's your process for that? And then is it difficult to find somebody who like fits your, like how you want them to be playing with you? 
Um, it's the same thing with, hey, you have a ranking, you have a, I guess, certain value attached to you, and, and that differs in the eyes of others. Let's make a negotiation. Who's going to be your business partner mm. in the world of doubles ATP tennis? And that's how you go about it. You know, right now I'm playing with a guy named Max Schnur, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. You know, um, we, we, I think we, we both do a good job and make a good team. He's very professional. He's really smart. He enjoys film study as well. Mm. We have the same working rhythm. And the, those are things that you need, you know. Uh, we both like to take kind of like an intellectual, studious approach to the game and break things down rather than just talk about, oh, man, it felt like this out there, you know. Um, so it makes for fun conversations. And it's definitely you think of it as a business partnership. So it's, that's that's how it happens. Gotcha, man. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Yeah. In your eyes, like in order to break the top, I mean, you're, you're very close to top under. So let's say top fifty. Uh, what 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 things do you think you might need to to improve upon to to get there? Serve return. Um, the hands are there. Mm-hmm. Net partner stuff is there. Return partner stuff is there. The, really, the biggest thing was the serve because I was landing behind the serve behind the baseline. Mm. Uh, all all all, probably my whole career outside of finally until this year when I think I finally figured it out and, you know, the issue kind of related to like uh, the kinetic chain type stuff, but uh, Mm -hmm. it really, it was all the serve. I mean, we were, I was always probably around that 115 to 145 area, which is really all the same skill level. It just kind of depends on how you execute here and there, but they get you into the same tournaments in terms of like high end challenger, high end, mid high end challenger kind of doubles player. Uh, I lost my train of thought. Sorry, where was I again? Oh, no worries. I was just um, like, what what types of things do you think you need to work on to get to the top 50? Oh, uh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I was landing behind the court last year, so it's landing inside the court and just hitting the serve like I should. You know, I mean, like I'm a taller dude, like mm-hmm. athletic-looking guy, so <laughs> I need to hit my serve like it. And, and the thing is, I, I hit my serve fine before, but it was, it was a bit – it was too inaccurate to make it to make it inside the top 70 like emphatically so to Mm -hmm. speak you know like like you want to be able to make it make it not just make it off of a fluke year or kind of be around that area and you got to win about six challengers a year six seven challengers Mm -hmm. a year to be inside the top 100 probably be top 70 you got to win that and do well in the atp or two which means that when it's time to close out a match you got to close it out because the momentum changes quick it's two out of three sets no ad tiebreaker a lot of things can happen so when you're kind of like on a team's neck, you got to you got to be there, you know, can't start not doing well, you mm. know. So uh, a lot of that for me relates to closing matches out, serving at five, three, five, four, you know, when when competitors on the other side tend to raise their game and, and it's being it's just being more dominant from that end. Like, I'm, I'm yeah, it's getting better in all other areas, but that's that's the main area that really had to grow. Like in a tournament, it's common for me to serve well. One match, serve okay. The next match, serve kind of well half a match and okay. The rest of the match and then serve okay. And that's just not – either I'm going to win a lot of breakers, which those can go either way, or that's it. That's Mm -hmm. it. You know, so that's been the focus. That's been the focus. Gotcha, gotcha. And, yeah, I mean, doubles especially seems like it's like going to the third – said every single time like you know a lot it's just uh very razor thin margins over there um on the tour with doubles uh so if you if you don't mind like i'm very curious you know especially with the serve technique it's like you know it, it's 
it's a it's a shot where you you know you control it you're not moving and yet it's like the most complicated and tough to mm-hmm. master it seems like so yeah uh, what I mean what specifically uh, with regards to the kinetic chain like was it like what part of it uh, was, was it that you had to yeah fix? well the biggest thing is you know I was tossing the ball and trying to just like slam the ball down with my shoulder basically rather uh-huh. than just using my leg drive to just. Mm push up and out at the target and just let the shoulder be the shoulder. And and by saying that, I mean, just like, there's like this, uh, fluid relationship. Have you, have you done medicine ball tosses before? Yeah. Cause this is kind of how, and this is probably what the the video with Peter will be about probably a spoiler, but, um, have you done, have you done the one where you kind of squatted and then tossed the ball in the air? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the synergy between the squat and then when you then push up and toss the ball in the air, Mm-hmm. kind of do you feel that kind of the reason the ball gets so high is because that synergy that happens between your legs and then it travels through your core and then through your arms but if you didn't use any legs and you just toss the medicine ball in the sky probably wouldn't go very high and that's kind of that's kind of how i like to explain the serve in terms of feeling that fluidity transfer obviously you're not standing as if you would toss a medicine ball but you're feeling that same concept flow through your body as you push the ground away with your legs and then let that force travel through your arm and just let that throwing motion happen naturally. Um, that probably needs to happen, especially amongst recreational levels when people kind of use their knee bends whenever they decide to, rather than kind of a knee bend that helps flow energy through their abs and then their shoulder to get power on the ball. So uh, for me, it's it became understanding that the kinetic chain, it starts by pushing the ground down and away and just launching my body towards the target and just letting my shoulder flow as opposed to jumping up at the ball trying to slam the ball down into the ground there's a different emphasis of where i put my force my force isn't from top down of slamming the ball down Mm -hmm. it's from drive the legs to the ball and just let the arm flow and uh, understand that the serve is basically a throwing motion if i'm throwing a football a baseball or whatever and, and let let my leg drive and the fluidity of that force travel into my arm and just let that thing go. And it's just my responsibility to, to, to jump directly at my target and, uh, and, and, and aim that throwing motion. But uh, stay tuned for Peter Freeman's YouTube videos because that's uh, just a short clip of what we'll talk about. <laughs> love it. Yeah, love it. Yeah, I'll definitely yeah. I'll link to that and I'm excited to watch that yeah. uh, soon. And yeah, I mean, I think this is pretty much the same point, but I remember interviewing Rick Macy and he said that amateur is one of the biggest problems. Uh, I mean, actually, a lot of players on the tour uh, as well, but like what they do is they, they perform the racket drop too early. Um, you know, you're supposed to like push up. Uh, and then have the racket drop uh, happen. But with a lot of players, they just have that racket drop, then they push up. So that just that whole timing, like I think is really key to, uh, to getting that flow that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so of course, yeah, yeah, of course, you know, and, and it's, it's funny because again, like the, the service is science, but it's an art too. Like it's kind of like a thumbprint. Like everyone does have their own unique rhythm to a certain extent on the serve and people have to embrace that aspect of it while also understanding the, the more kind of universal rules of the kinetic chain, you know? So, uh, I think it's more about having an understanding and then practicing that timing, like you said, but, but both understandings are definitely needed to probably master the serve. Awesome, man. Awesome. Appreciate that advice. Um, 
Well, I got. I should probably be paying you a couple hundred bucks for a lesson right here, man. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I enjoy it. I, yeah. I enjoy it. To be honest, uh, at the end of days, I go home and journal about tennis and uh, what worked in my lessons, what felt good uh, during my practice, and these are just all thoughts I enjoy to discuss. So, yeah, and I appreciate that. Actually, are, to that point, are you taking clients right now? Uh, you know, because you're coaching, obviously. Yeah, I pretty much have been the whole year. Uh, there, there are three girls I've been working with pretty consistently that I've just been keeping it to ever since I've been pretty serious about just training, and that's been kind of the last three months. But before then, it was just kind of whoever, whenever, all day, mm. leave leave my house in the morning and just go from place to place just helping people out. And uh, I grew a lot during that period and learned a lot, not only about uh, just tennis and becoming a better player myself, but just in terms of the real world, what I want to do, am I happy doing that? You know, like it just gave me more insight just into life after tennis, which is something I have not spent a lot of time doing or thinking about. Mm. So Awesome, man. Yeah, well, obviously, yeah. If, if people who are, I know there's people uh, from Georgia and Atlanta even listening, so uh, should, uh, well, what do you think? Should they DM you or what should they do if they want to listen? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. DMing works. I mean, honestly, it's better for, DMing's better in terms of just asking for advice. In terms of a lesson, I'm honestly going to be on the road all year, you okay. know, probably until I make it in my mind. I mean, you I know, you. once, once, when, once Wednesday happens, Mm-hmm. I kind of see myself be- being in Turkey for a month, possibly France for a month after that. And mm-hmm. then, you know, and then I'm going to be, if I can't play challengers because of whatever kind of going on with COVID, then I'll probably play the UTR events going on locally and travel with another doubles guy and, and we'll get our work in on the road. And then when it's time to play another challenger, we'll be pretty sharp. So, I, I mean, I, I kind of envision that's how a lot of my, I, a lot of my year would go. Um, but, but I'd be more than happy to answer questions and try to explain things, uh, pretty well. And yeah, I mean, but, but also have my website and I'm going to be blogging. So, uh, either way, either way. And you know, there's going to be a week here there where I'm in town in Atlanta and and that's going to be my off time where I'm not really playing. So that'd be a fun time for lessons too. I got you. I got, wow, man. How excited are you to, to embark on this, like uh, potentially monthly or double two month trip, uh, you know, abroad? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's exciting and scary at the same time. You know I mean? Cause you don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I hope a lockout doesn't happen and I'm stuck in Turkey. I mean, but at least I'll be there with some of my closest friends. So at least that's the bright side and that'll be a unique story one day, but that's the scary part. The fun part is I get to spend uh, the full day applying everything I've learned from this year into my game and my new habits in terms of how I want to get better every day and kind of what I want to do with my life. So, and, and, and yeah, I don't know, this year is really important in terms of uh, learning. So I, I just, I'm really excited just uh, from that aspect as well. So excited and scared at the same time. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, so like you're, you're heading out in a few days. So have you um, set any particular goals or intentions or anything of that nature? Uh, you know, and if so, could you share with us? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, in terms of numerical goals, I, I definitely want to be 70 by the end of the year uh, or top hundred or something. Definitely not one, one, you know, whatever I am now. I mean, and not, not that 130 or wherever I am is bad, but um, I got to get to the point to where I'm like actually able to live off of, you know, kind of like what I'm doing and 
in my mind, that's definitely 70, 70 in the world because that's when you're consistently playing slams. So mm. that's my goal. But uh, that's I, I don't I don't check in on that too often. That's not something I don't I don't check the points. How close am I? How many points I need? Um, I, I kind of put more of my focus on my my daily systems and how I can kind of improve that and how I can kind of settle into those as deep as possible. And uh, and if I'm making good progress over the course of a month, I'll kind of check in. But but that's how I'd rather go about it. I mean, for me, it's more like, for example, my routine here is to get up every morning at 6.15, drive indoors, hit serves, morning practice, gym right after that, and then four hours of lessons, then foam roll, stretch, watch basketball, eat, go to sleep, and then you do the same thing the next day. And that's a routine that I enjoy and that I like. It's fun for me and it's repeatable, but it's also hard work. So my goal is to find that routine on the road where there's so many moving pieces and not just at home where everything's just set and easy. So th- th- that'll be it. That'll, that'll be it. And uh, generally, whenever I've been able to settle into a working rhythm, uh, I've generally done well over the course of time. So, but, but that, that rhythm looks different depending on the place. It's going to look different in Turkey. It's going to look different in France. You know, just, mm-hmm. I, I don't even know if I'll be able to have a box of balls to serve with, you know, uh, in Turkey, maybe some some tournaments uh, only you can rent out three balls at a time, especially during mm-hmm. a COVID year. Maybe they yeah. want limited people touching the balls. So I, I don't really know how preparation will be affected, but uh, I've done enough work here to where, you know, you get out there, you try to survive and see what you could do. Yeah, 100 percent, Nathan. And, you know, it's very interesting, that dichotomy that you just talked about between the goals and then the process and things like that, because, like, I guess maybe overthinking the goals is too much pressure. So I guess how do you deal with I know you kind of how to deal with it, but in general, uh, do you think that you need a goal in order to have that? top end motivation, if you will, or do you think somebody who just puts in the process in and just follows it without any sort of goal can be just as or more successful than if they had goals? Well, you need both. And, and in my okay. mind, they, uh, they both serve, they, they both serve different functions. You know, I, I think that the vision, the numerical goal kind of gives you that gas, you know, when you, uh, when you, when I think about, playing four slams a year and uh, being able to, you know, afford this and that or whatever, you know, it gives you a certain amount of energy to kind of then, sorry, then come up with a plan that you're willing to carry out over a long period of time. So for me, it's kind of like the, the end goal probably fuels the process goals, but it has to go in that order. It's not like you could just have end goal and then have – you know, unreasonable expectations and then act kind of like a psycho when you don't get it. And, and you know, I, I feel like a lot, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people try that because it's so, uh, it's, it's what you see on TV and in movies. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, I definitely feel like I see that at the lower levels of tennis, which kind of makes me laugh. Um, and, and no, like you're going to mess up like everyone else. You just have to kind of get up the next morning and practice. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I mean, that that's kind of it's no. That's kind of how it works. You just got to do it over a long period of time, you know. But but the pro, you definitely, man. If, if you got to put the primary focus on the process goals, once you get the gas and the motivation, you've got to just okay. Like, what's my daily system now, and how can I adjust it? You know. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of funny. I was laughing to myself while you were. 
uh, talking there because like I feel <laughs> I feel like for USCA players it's like the complete opposite where like if they they're four five like and then they get bumped up to five oh they're like what the f-? you know like they they yeah <laughs> they do, they do, they want to go like stay, stay lower or whatever you know what I mean but I, I don't know I'm, my brain's kind of random so sorry about that but <laughs> no well no no it's not I mean it's it, I mean that happens at like at all kind of you know it was that 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 happens but i mean but at the same time like we pe- people that play five o's and you know like that like tennis is where they get their competitive drive out for some probably yeah. that used to be former athletes or maybe even from people that haven't really competed before and you know and and some people just play to have fun so obviously if, if those two things mesh it, it's kind of a funny <laughs> it's kind of a funny combination you know yeah. but uh yeah pe- pe- people play for different reasons you know yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean that's that's really important to to figure that out for yourself, you know. So then you can see what you need to work on, or maybe what not need to work on. Um, so, uh, so you know, we we talked about how how you've been uh, doing a lot of coaching, and you know, you're going to embark on a journey where you won't be doing that that so much uh, for a while. But uh, maybe what is one key lesson that you can give some coaches out there? Uh, to be an effective coach, either that and or any particular pet thieves or, you know, mistakes that you see from other coaches? <laughs> yeah, a lot. I mean, like, where do you start? Probably. <laughs> uh, I mean, not, not like, I mean, like not to and not like there's a lot of unbelievably good coaches out there. And I learned from everyone. I, yeah. I mean, like, for example, like I started teaching my mom tennis and I, and cool. I can learn so much from my mom, but it's I mean, but you do pass a lot of a lot of kind of know-it-all coaches that just kind of just emphasize probably the wrong things that that I feel like I kind of run in that I see or just observe or just I don't know. But the uh, probably my biggest pet peeve is when people say "move your feet." To be honest, it's yeah. and and the reason is because it's. Oh, what does that mean? Can any, I feel like if, if I line 10 people up and I ask them all to move their feet, they give me 10 different answers. So, so what is, does it mean me move more intense? So, you know, you can, you can do the, the wrong motor pattern, but do it more intensely and, and just miss, but it's just a more powerful shot kind of, you know, so I, I feel like generally move your feet means focus, but a lot of people don't know how to move their feet. How do you get out of the way of the ball? How do you hit open stance? Uh, how do you move to the ball with appropriate spacing? Those are all things that kind of have to be explained. That's not explained by, Hey, move your feet. <laughs> so that, that, that's, uh, probably one of my biggest pet peeves. And the other one is just a lack of understanding of momentum and how momentum happens with the lower body, the, 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 the shots shaped with the upper body, you know, like for example, if I'm going to slice the ball, I'm going to push my whole body through the ball. And I'm going to keep my knuckles up on the slice at the outside of the ball, make sure my knuckles go to the target. Like, you know, my, my lower body is moving through the ball for the power. And then I have my technical rules for the upper body, but the upper body just flows through the shot. Similar to that medicine ball toss that we talked about earlier, where the mm-hmm. lower body pushes, the upper body flows. Except when you're tossing a medicine ball in the sky, the hands just go up. You know, when you're swinging a racket out for a topspin forehand, you're just completely letting the arm go. And it's and it's initiated by your 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 hip turn into the shot Um, and and you just completely let it go and kind of let the shoulder be the shoulder and your hand kind of has this door doorknob turning motion that allows you to get the top spin as long as you hit the bottom of the ball. So like like that's just kind of for. Yeah. And I just jumped into a top spin forehand randomly. But then you've got hitting the ball through hip, which is your power. You Mm -hmm. let your upper body flow through the ball. 
you, you let the doorknob turn with your hand, and, but you make sure you hit the bottom of the ball so the ball doesn't hit the ground before it before it hits the net. So, uh, like you know, it, it, but it's understanding that just like hey, you create momentum with the lower body so the upper body can carry out proper technique. We don't want to look at a lot of times. I feel like coaches look at the lower body and it's doing absolutely nothing to help a person's upper body. And the person isn't strong enough to just have proper technique with the upper body and generate full technique. It's really hard to do. No, the legs generate force, the body generates force. So it's probably the understanding of how to properly use momentum and, 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 and the importance of positioning uh, for, for recreational coaches. And it's for them to not say, move your feet, but tell someone how to move their feet. You know, So those are probably two of the biggest things. Love it. Very nice. Very nice, uh, Nathan. And yeah, you know, something that was pretty interesting, and yeah, I don't want to spoil the whole YouTube <laughs> video for the backhand, but, <laughs> yeah. you, but, but you did a two, uh, a, the ATP two-handed backhand. And actually what, what you know, was interesting to me is, you know, you mentioned that, uh, I guess if I get this right, for players who want more spin on their backhand, they can actually, instead of using the uh, classic continental grip, um, you know, for their dominant hand, they can actually shift that a bit. So can you uh, kind of talk about yeah. that uh, that particular tip? I thought that was a really good one. Yeah. So the, the best way to kind of explain it without a visual is if I'm, if I'm standing across the net and if I, ha- and if I have my kind of racket to the side, man, I'm, man, I'm off to a terrible start. Because, because like okay. I, I have to have a baseline, I feel like, to establish people with. Because ultimately – the more the racket bed faces directly towards the ground, the more spin you're going to get. Are, are we at a good visual right now? Yeah, yeah. So so, so if you turn that racket directly perpendicular towards the net, that's a continental grip, you're going to get no spin. Mm-hmm. Are, are you with me? Mm-hmm. So basically, if we're at the western grip where the bed of the racket is facing towards the ground, you're really going to have to hit the ball at 6 o'clock. If, if, you're, if you're imagining the ball as a clock face, the top is 12 o'clock, the bottom is 6 o'clock, you're really going to need to hit the bottom of that ball and you're really going to need to feel initial lift. And for people that are just switching to a Western grip for the first time, I would honestly recommend you try to lob the ball and you're probably going to hit the ball in the service line on the other side. That's how different the, the feel is for, for lifting the shot. You know, um, for, for people that use maybe semi-Western grips that don't know how to fully use their hand if they switch to a Western, They'll hit a lot of spin, but it'll it'll ground out every time in terms of it'll hit the service line on their side and then it'll and then it'll roll into the net. But hey, you're gonna hit a lot of spin if you just really lift the ball and act like you're gonna hit a lob. It's a different way to swing, but that that's kind of the idea. So you don't have to use hand skills as much because the grip gives you spin if your racket bed is facing towards the ground. On the other side, if your racket hand uh, sorry, if the racket bed is faced towards the other side of the net, you gotta use a lot of hand. Um, and you honestly can't use enough hand to get the ball up and down with a continental grip and hit the ball hard. You have to take pace off of it, you know? So long story short, the, the, the more down the string bed is, the more you have to lift, the more facing across the net, the string bed is, the more you have to just really not lift and hit through the shot. Your classic traditional straight through swing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Really good stuff there. Um, you know, obviously people should tinker and, and see what feels right for them. So great stuff there. Um, right. Uh, Nathan, regarding your website, I was wondering, um, you know, what at what period in time and what what sparked that interest in deciding to uh, to to actually create a website and then, you know, post on it and so forth. It was a combination of 
I enjoy writing. I enjoy tennis, sharing information and, and just learning from others. Really, the best way for me to learn is to get questions from people and think of things that I haven't thought of before, you know. Uh, so that was part of it. The other part was it's an easy way to stay connected to people that have supported me financially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a way to get more financial support. So it's kind of a combination of those three things. I kind of see it as a win-win. Um, I, I kind of get to give tennis information and just give insights of what it's like of a professional touring player that's trying to make it. The good days, the bad days, you know, we're, we're regular just like anyone else. Sometimes you want to play tennis, sometimes we don't. But, you know, we, we find deeper reasons for why we do things and, uh, and, and it helps you stick it out. I get on these rambles. Initial question again. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, you answered it. You're just like, what, what um, caused you to create the website? And then. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I much, yeah. 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 That was it. That was it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And no, I, I really I mean, I wish so many more players did this. You know, like I've had some players on that that have blogs like Daniel Lau and Jason Jung and, and some others. So, um, you know, I, I, I wish that more players did that. Um, but uh, I, you know, I'd love to keep uh, keep reading your stuff. So I definitely look forward to uh, to some posts and hopefully you'll you'll have some time after after your wins and whatnot to 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 blog while you're uh, out of the country. Um, yeah. I'll have the time. Like I won't have an Xbox. I won't have anything. I'll just have my computer and my tennis rackets and a hotel room that we probably have to be confined to. And yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it. So cool. Good stuff. Yeah. So, um, so one hot Lanta related question. Uh, are you, are you a fan (laughs) of like hip hop and, and, and all that? I, I, yes, I like hip hop. Um, as far as like really being in the music game and understanding what's coming out and what's this, what, what's that? Like, I'm not like, I I just listen to Apple music and sometimes Mm -hmm. I listen to the browse hip hop and listen to what I listen to, but that's kind of like the extent of how I kind of do it. Gotcha. Now that's cool. Cause I, I just thought of, um, I think maybe several weeks ago, I forgot when I, I saw there was this battle of like, uh, between, uh, young Jeezy and Gucci man. Uh, <laughs> so that was, that was funny to watch, but I was just wondering, like, if, did you, do you have a particular favorite? Cause it's like crazy how many like really good rappers, great rappers are Out of from Atlanta. Atlanta. It's insane. You know, I got like this list of, I mean, small list, like Ludacris, young Jeezy, TI, Gucci man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do you have a favorite? That's, or, well, I mean, when I was growing up, Young Jeezy and Ludacris, big time. Okay, uh, but that that's completely like an Evan King question, and I bring <laughs> up Evan because he's one of my close friends, and cool. uh, and we we play we played a lot of doubles together, and we're yeah. actually playing together this first week, and in, nice. in, uh in Istanbul. So like he's uh you know he's into the uh, Jameer Jenkins also he he's Serena's hitting partner right now. Uh-huh. Um, like the, the, those guys are kind of in the in the daily group chat, always talking about rap battles and <laughs> different things people are dropping and, and and all this stuff, you know. So that's that, that's a question they would for sure get excited about. I, I just end up lost in the question. Like uh, I don't know, I listen to Apple Music, that kind, <laughs> right. of, kind of a thing. So. Right, right, right. Oh, that's cool. That's <laughs> yeah, but cool. but I do. Yeah, but but I do like Jeezy and Ludacris for sure. Gotcha, gotcha. Me too. So um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotta maybe I can get Evan on this show sometime. That'd be fun. Um, but that, that would be that would be yeah yeah, he, yeah. He, he's a good personality. Uh, he, he he's funny to talk to. Cool man, cool. So um, uh, you know you you obviously seem like a a very well you are a very smart guy and very articulate uh, and well educated. I was wondering if you 
Uh, you know, I don't know how much reading you've done in, with respect to tennis books, or actually they could they don't have to be tennis books, but uh, I was going to ask you, what three books would you give to a friend to uh, help them Ooh, uh, that get is better? such a good one. Yeah. The number one, I, I would say Atomic Habits is, pro- is probably yes. number one. good book. Oh, have you read that? Yeah, yeah, it's real good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Atomic Habits is awesome. You almost have me, <laughs> you almost have me wanting to go back to my uh, Kindle list to to see uh, atomic habits is great uh that the the reason i put that number one is like i I love the motivational stuff i I love feeling ready and gassed up to do something and uh, i would love to say those feelings uh are always turned on and uh you're always going to feel like that but but you don't like like that that it wavers on everyone so Mm -hmm. atomic habits is a really good practical way of just getting you to design your day to, to i don't know be reach whatever goals you have or whatever, whatever you want to do. So, mm-hmm. um, that's definitely one. Oh man. Um, th- 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 this is a fun one. Cause I want to pick some good ones out mm-hmm. and I've been reading. Oh, what's it called? Finding your zone is another good one. Oh. I would put that number two. Okay. Have you read this one? That one I haven't. No. So finding your zone is about a guy that pretty much has done research on a bunch of uh, high performance and he, he boils the flow state when you're competing, when time seems to slow down, down into like 10 steps. Hmm. And it's really, really good. And uh, hmm. it gets you to kind of just keep things into perspective. Because at the end of the day, when you're competing, you, you got to accept that the worst can happen and you got to let go and expect for the best, be okay with the worst. And just have empathy for yourself kind of all in between it is it long story short that's for me that's what everything comes back to but that book's a great one in terms of keeping your perspective in line where you're you're really kind of playing for the love of the game don't let anything taint that um and, and he explains different characteristics of the flow state and how it's achieved and and how it's typically achieved by accident but but these are the more consistent ways you could produce flow state they all focus on these things Mm. um keeping your motivation pure was just one of them that stood out to me because that's one where as time goes on as you hang around different people or you're getting different results your motivations can change and you gotta keep your eye on hey no like i'm not playing for their approval i'm playing for my own happiness kind of a thing so um that's definitely number two uh number three I'm going to be mad about this one later once I go through uh, <laughs> your library, through my books, yeah, through my library. But but the, the thing that comes to mind is, is, is probably this one book called Flow. It's similar to Flow State. And, mm. and it pretty much it pretty much asks the question like, hey, all of our flow states are when we're challenged intellectually. You know, um, why does everyone want to take our uh, when when our best times our flow state or our most optimal moments are during work or during when we're being challenged so that's another book that just got me to just enjoy work the working rhythm of just being in the gym or hitting serves for the millionth time or whatever (laughs) so uh that that, that's how it's kind of helped me in that way it's definitely not my top three but it's it's something that i was going back to read through recently Mm. or just highlights uh and that's probably why it's on my mind but definitely the first two for first two a million percent i'd uh i'd recommend gotcha appreciate that probably huh? mindset I, sorry so i'd actually put mindset number three this one coach named mm-hmm. steven armitrage recommended that to me 
and 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 it's and it's all about finding things that you're not great at and practicing it. Like I'm terrible at Call of Duty Warzone, you know. <laughs> so maybe I just I'm terrible at it. You know, okay. maybe uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe uh, so 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 I practice it with with the mindset of just being patient, learning, understanding, being okay with failure, all those things basically, and uh, making that a practice and not just something you know, you know, so. Hmm. You know, I like this approach because I am terrible at Counter-Strike. All my friends make fun of me and I feel like I should play that more now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the- yeah. I mean, like, can, can you take the criticism and, and be cool with it? You know, yeah. or, you know, can you, I don't know that there's always, you, you can always practice uh, some, some kind of emotional intelligence or skills or whatever you want to call them. I mean, I do the same thing in NBA 2K, like literally, you know, in, N- mm-hmm. in NBA or Madden, like I try to be calm and try not to let the defense rush me and I try to like take my time and make my decisions. Like, mm. you know, it's pretty, it's, I, I like to play my little mental games. I like it. I like it. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Actually, have you heard of, uh, of David Goggins? Yeah. 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 Can't hurt me. Yeah. yeah. That's, sure. that's a really good book. And, you know, I, you know, I follow okay. him and he always posts these uh, things. And it's, it's so interesting because like he runs like so many miles every single day. And then he's like, I don't even like running. You know, he, he does it like to, yeah. to build up that, that mindset and do things that are difficult so that, you know, you can just expand yourself. So of yeah, course. I, I won't just, yeah. I don't, I won't quote him word for word. Cause then we'd have to bleep everything out. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm familiar with the quotes. I listen to some motivational videos, uh, yeah, while, yeah. while waking up and, and <laughs> you know, he, he would be a guy that sent some motivational videos. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. He's like, man, he, he's like, why lie? I just call myself fat. Don't sugarcoat it. I'm, fat. <laughs> right. I'm like, all right, all right. Okay. Let's yeah. go. Let's go. That's right. So that's, you know, you can start a day like that or two and get you going. <laughs> yeah yeah for so, sure man yeah sure. cool cool yeah i'm glad we uh yeah, i know Definitely. those exact videos that you i think for like three months straight i just put those videos and it's really cool it's a nice amalgamation of like you know top speakers and like uh i i would like in my during my morning routine during exercise i would i just play those so it's it's, it's uh it's powerful um yeah yeah, good stuff, man. So another uh, fun question that I always ask is if you could uh, erect a huge billboard in the most trafficked uh, street in Atlanta and you could write anything on it, uh, what would you write on it? <laughs> Honestly, to the whole tennis world, probably nobody cares. You mm, know, <laughs> um, that's good. I mean, and not in a not 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 in a cynical, you know, my favorite quote oh, is from this one book. It's something about controlling emotions or whatever, but it is my favorite quote probably of the year. And it's like, when you're 20, you think, you think, uh, everyone cares Mm. when you, when you're 40, you stop caring what others think when you're 60, you realize no one ever cared in the first place. (laughs) And, and, and it's not to, and it's not to be cynical and say, no one cares about you because people like the, in my mind, the world is a great place. People do care. But in terms of tennis results, like, my best friend can go out and win the U.S. Open tomorrow, and I'd be super happy for him, and I would feel for him. But you know, I'm I'm not going to sleep thinking about that. Like right. I'm going to sleep thinking about what I got to do, and and it's the same if he's to if if Evans to go lose to, uh, to to someone that he shouldn't lose to. Like you think about it for five minutes, and then you're off to the next thing. And, and I think if a lot of people realize that, they would take a lot of unnecessary stress off themselves, and just not take yourself so seriously, mm-hmm. you know, because. Yeah, pe- people look at it for a second, and but but people don't take it as like people don't take it as seriously as yeah, it, it's not that serious. So 
that that's probably what I what I would put on a what I would put on a billboard. My my favorite quote that uh that I read this year in the terms of like people care, especially in terms of health. You know, right. like the, uh, Dustin Taylor, like he he he's he's one of my favorite coaches by far. He's coached a lot of really good players, and he cares speech. I just happened to see this the quote that supported it, but. You know, it was people are going to care if you break your leg. People are going to fall asleep. Like, I hope he's okay. I hope he's doing well. Yada yada. But right. tennis match, it's it's a tennis match. You know, kind of yeah. get over yourself. You know, like we're we should feel important because we're important, but we're not that important, kind of a thing. So uh, I don't know. Like, it's just that understanding. I think will help tennis players play from a healthier state of mind and just be happy and play and not force things. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I mean, I, I forget who was saying this on a podcast that I was listening to recently, but, you know, you have to kind of think about, like, what you're saying to yourself and, and the stress you put on yourself in the terms of, like, what would you, how would you treat a friend? Like, would you, you know, a lot of us tennis exactly. players, were like, cursing at ourselves, like, what the F? Like, why did you miss this? And exactly. Like, would you talk to a friend like that? And then also, like, you know, if you lose, like, uh, just act like, I mean, like, if a friend lost, you know, you would only think about it for, like, a minute. And so you should kind of treat yourself. Of course. Like, just like you said, so. Yeah. Of, no, I mean, like, in, it's empathy. It's you have you you have empathy for your friends. People lack to have empathy for themselves. Right. And it's just like you got to remember that you're a person too. If I say something to myself, like you think you don't feel that, you're gonna feel that. And if you think mm -hmm. you don't feel that, play closer attention. And if nothing's like I, I feel ripping yourself and and having low self confidence after a while is gonna manifest itself in some way, whether you realize it or not. Whether it's you feeling that or whether it's you looking low confident or whether it's you losing confidence in a situation where you should be confident. So you like you empathy is needed every step of the way. And uh to be honest, I practice that in my MBA as well. You know, <laughs> like I, I want to win these games. I'll play Xbox a lot. Like I play Xbox Live, I play with the Falcons. I'm playing against the Saints. I want to win that game. If I lose, I'm, I'm I'm feeling upset about it. But you know, I have to have empathy with myself. At the end of the day, it's okay. You want to win? That's a good thing. You're competitive. Okay. I feel sorry for myself, and that kind of ended like that. And I'm still mad, but it's it's better than uh, ripping myself as well. <laughs> for sure. So you know, and I give myself a little bit of credit at the same time for wanting mm -hmm. it. And it sounds stupid that I'm talking about a video game, but this also relates to tennis, obviously. So. Yeah. 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 Like it's, I don't know. That's kind of what it's all about at the end of the day, you know, in my mind, or it, it, even at higher levels when, when I've seen other people play or even talk about it, that that's kind of the mentality they approach it with. You have to. Yeah, you have to, for sure. I mean, you know, like there's, cause I used to, what would happen is like, I would tell myself, okay, yeah, like I'm going to wake up at 6am tomorrow. And then if I didn't wake up at 6am, then I'd you know, I, I just like beat myself up and then that, what would that do? That just makes me even worse. And like, you know, I would, I would not wake up early the next exactly. day, Exactly. but you know, instead like more lately, I'm like, all right, you know, it's, it's all right. Like, let's just do it tomorrow. Like it's all good. And then like, when you treat yourself better, then you're going to get better results. So, um, right. I mean, but, but it, yeah, it, it, it's also recognizing that, okay, I have the ambition to get up. I didn't today. I'm irritated at myself. Okay. I want to be better. Like, you know that about yourself as a fact. So like, that's something that you can be, and, I, and I, I'm not even saying that's you to the hypothetical you mm. that we're talking about. Um, and then hopefully that gives you better energy 
to, to, to make, to make a good decision the next day. And if you don't, then you have more empathy and then you try to get it the next day. But it's, I mean, but, but David, David Goggins way does work for a lot of people. I mean, it just depends on the person. It it, it, yeah. it, it, it really depends on the person. Like it's the, the, one of the most fun things to me about coaching this year is uh, none of my two students are not even close to being the same. Like a lot of, a lot of my answers for get, for figuring them out have been completely unique to all of them. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's the same when it comes to people trying to understand their routines or even how they should play the game. Probably another uh, one of my biggest pet peeves with coaches is coaches that try to pigeonhole players into these game styles without taking into account already special talents and abilities of the players and tendencies. Right. So that's probably one of the biggest things. Like everyone's going to come to my academy and have a huge serve, huge forehand. You can have those things, but might not be centered around that player's game. So that, that, that's, uh, that, that, that's another pet peeve that's kind of funny to me. But yeah. Cool, man. Cool. Uh, great stuff there. Just, just, uh, curious about like your gear. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering like what, uh, what you're using. So if you don't mind, maybe like racket strings tension would work. Yeah. So right here, there uh, you go. vocal, the sign, nice. I use the clothes, the rackets, got the sweatshirt on the strings. I enjoy it. I love them. Um, they've got really good quality rackets. They're a smaller brand. Some people haven't even heard of them. Um, but, uh, They've got really, really good quality rackets, and they take care of me really well, um, kind of with everything. So, you know, I'm pretty lucky to have them. Awesome. Uh, and my tension is uh, 46. Nice, nice. Pounds. Very cool. Very cool. Actually, I use um, Vocal Cyclone for strings, and I love them. And oh, they're like, go. that's a good one. Yeah, and they're like not expensive, and they're re- really good poly. So I like it. Uh, I like yeah. it a lot. Yeah, good stuff, sure. man. Good stuff. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Nathan, I mean, it's obviously been a pleasure and I just wanted to give you the chance if, if there's anything else that, you know, maybe we didn't cover that you want to talk about or, or anything else you want to say to the, to the audience before we wrap up. No, no. I mean, I enjoyed it. You know, maybe follow along my website as I start kind of blogging, you know, like it's always, uh, cool to have feedback or kind of generate discussion i mean <laughs> i'm gonna be in my room in turkey not doing much uh outside of practice so and my xbox won't be there so there you go uh so i mean that that's about it but outside of that no you know feel free to reach out for tennis questions you know and uh that's about it cool cool um uh and, and where can people follow you uh online on social anything else I mean, Instagram, I wouldn't recommend anything on Facebook. I'm never on Facebook. I mean, I, I'm never on social media. I mean, I'll, I'll maybe pop on Instagram to scroll for like two seconds and then I'm off, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so that that's kind of the, I mean, the extent of it, but they can get in touch through Instagram probably. Like I'll get the notification. So they can get in touch that way. Gotcha. Gotcha. So Tw- at- Twitter, probably not, but yeah. Gotcha. So at, at, at Nate Pasha, right? N-A-T-E-P-A-S-H-A, right? N a t h a n p a s h a. Oh, is it? Uh, is that your handle on? Because uh, I I just went to your Instagram. I thought it was Nate Pasha, or, or is it? Nathan? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, for, for my Instagram, sorry. Yeah, Nate Nate Pasha for Instagram. Okay, perfect. Cool. That sounds. Sorry. Good. Yeah, yeah. My bad. No, no, no yeah. you're cool. I, yeah, and then obviously uh, NathanPasha.net for your website. Um, yes. Yep. Sweet, sweet, very cool. Um, so what about your TikTok game, man? You know TikTok? <laughs> I'm oh, just playing. Man. I'm just I'm, playing. I'm, 
the funny thing is I wouldn't even know about TikTok if it wasn't for my girlfriend, honestly. But my, uh, okay. you know, yeah, yeah. You know, she's, I, I, I'm, I'm on TikTok videos. It's out there somewhere. I'm with my girlfriend, you know, she's, nice. she tries to get me to dance. I wish I had more rhythm. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe looks would suggest I have more rhythm than I actually do. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I gotta, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in, I made embarrassing TikTok videos. I can get better. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I guess everybody should follow yeah. your girlfriend's TikTok, and then we yeah. can see you more. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. You want to give okay. a shout out to there that we... account? Do you know what, uh, what well, the I name know, is? Her, her name's Kylie McKenzie. It's. I mean, it's probably it's 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 probably Kylie McKenzie. I bet her. It's, it's something <laughs> like that. You can find her. You know. It's, so you're admitting yeah. you don't even know. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I don't have. A, I, don't, I don't have TikTok on my phone. The right. Right. Reason, right. Like it, it's. Yeah. It's nope. Yeah, no, it's it's cool. I, I don't either, yeah. actually. So I was just playing around there. But yeah, um, cool, man. Well, look, I, I want to thank you so much. I mean, it's you know, it's uh, we've been speaking for a long time. Uh, you know, almost two yeah. hours, and uh, appreciate yeah. your time. Uh, looks like you have a pretty cool ride here. Um, so I like the oh, interior. Yeah. It's yeah, nice. It's in the car. <laughs> yeah, thanks. You know, yeah. it's, it's comfortable. I, you know, two hours worth of talking. It just felt by <laughs> quick. So did yeah. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you yeah. felt that way. I'm glad you weren't like, oh my God, when is this over? Um, but oh, I, I don't blame oh, yeah, you. If, no. if <laughs> yeah, cool, man. No, I, I don't like, I don't, I don't need to be home. I just sit around at home. You know, I, I don't, you know, I'm just parking lots fine with me. <laughs> cool, man. Cool. Yeah, parking well, lot, talk tennis in the parking lot. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, That's like, fine. I, I, I want to thank you again, you know, like uh, for dropping so much knowledge uh, on us. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, you have a lot of pro tennis players who obviously are great players, but they don't quite, you know, they can't really explain the game that well, but you know, I can tell that, that you really can break down the game really well. Uh, clearly have a very bright future, like doing whatever you'd like in the game, if it's coaching or commentating or whatnot. Um, and yeah, I mean, thanks a lot for the time. And, uh, obviously we're looking forward to your videos with my friend Pete crunch time coaching. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to wish you a, uh, very safe and uh, prosperous uh, trip abroad and, you know, all the best to you and, and your, your partners and yeah, just best of luck. And thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. No worries. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Cool. Thanks, Nathan. All right. I really hope you enjoyed my interview today with ATP pro Nathan Pasha. And uh, I really do appreciate Nathan's time. As you can see, we spent a lot of time chatting about tennis and uh, some great tips for how to level up your game. And um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it just comes down to uh, breaking things down, analyzing what's going on with your game, with your matches, uh, and then developing a great plan that you can put forth and to just uh, to not be so hard on yourself, to give yourself some empathy and to pump yourself up and know that even if you made a mistake, all humans do all the time, that we can bounce back with some positivity and a plan for action. So great stuff there with Nathan. And I really would appreciate it if you enjoyed this episode and if, if you find the show useful and to help your game, uh, if you would leave a review for the Tennis Files podcast, and you can do that at tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts. It would be really helpful if you left a review uh, at Apple Podcasts. Um, but, you know, any... Any particular podcast app that you use to listen to the show works too. And it would just really help the show uh, become more visible to more people because naturally the more reviews it has, uh, the higher it's ranked in the algorithm that Apple uses. So I uh, would appreciate that. 
And uh, as always, all the links mentioned today, including the excellent books that Nathan recommended, will be on the show notes page at tennisfiles.com slash podcast. You can just go to that page and click on the episode, or you can always plug in the episode number after tennisfiles.com. So so, uh, tennisfiles.com slash 181 for this one. All righty. I'd love to leave you with a quote, as I often like to do at the end of the show as well. And this one is a Chinese proverb. I don't know exactly who said it, but the quote is, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. So definitely don't feel like you, just because you maybe didn't utilize the past couple years or whatnot uh, in the best way you could for your tennis, that it's too late. There's always time. You know, I've chatted with individuals who are improving every day and they're like 85 years old and they're excited to to keep getting better every day. So it's always a great feeling and that's what it's all about is just to keep improving and just following the process that you've laid out. Alrighty then. Thanks so much for listening and uh, really appreciate all your support and kind emails and reviews. And with that, I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. This is Maribon Aranshad signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.